Welcome to the podcast from the desk of Pat Green. Today I'm interviewing Guillermo Gallindo, an artist and composer. Guillermo was born in Mexico City. He got a bachelor's from Berklee College of Music in Boston and got his master's from Mills College, where he met the likes of Pauline Olivares, changed his world. He's written commissions for the Kronos Quartet. Wolf Eyes has opened up for him. And Border Cantos is probably his most famous recent project, which he did with the photographer Richard Masrak, Misrak. That project was shown in several museums and also was made into a book through Aperture Publishing. I was lucky enough last year to see the ICA in Boston and the Cornell at Rollins College to see the shows. And I saw the Sonic Borders performance at the Cornell Museum in Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. A brilliant performance. And that's where I met Guillermo Gallando, who since then has become a friend of mine. Today, I'm going to, we're kind of launching right into mid-conversation. He's talking about his project, his latest project, Sonic Botany, which is going to be done at Huntington Huntington Library, which is an art museum and a botanical garden, too. So stay tuned. It's a great, I had a great time talking with him. What I'm doing for my project, for the, for the project of the Sonic Botany, uh-huh. I realized that it's in September, so we may have to have a very limited audience inside. So I'm designing like these models, like you go inside of plexiglass, uh-huh. You have two or three people watching my exhibit from inside a plexiglass model, you know. Because I was reading about how it's in um, the plexiglass, but you actually walk inside? I didn't realize that. No, 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 no. It, the, the, the way that the people enjoy the experience is from plexiglass, like, bells or plexiglass oh, cubes. Yeah. And they go, like, by like twos or by one, but it's, like, part of the aesthetic. Well, you said don't want to get close to the viruses, you know? Yeah, you, didn't you say it was supposed to look like it was under a microscope, kind of like, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, but, but people come in with their masks. Yeah. And yeah. imagine the scene. You come into the gallery, and there's like these plexiglass booths yeah. where you go in and watch the exhibit from the plexiglass booth with your mask. And at the same time, you're watching the other people their masks inside oh, another plexiglass. Really cool. That's actually really cool. Does it have sound kind of thing too, sir? I'm thinking of having sound raining in it. You know, like those, yeah, that I rain, the sound kind of rains on you, like like when you take a shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you look, you can actually, I think you, in Instructables, you can make one of those speakers out of like one of those water bottles you see at the office, you know, like you can kind oh, of. Oh, yeah. Like that's this. a good point. There's oh, you can, like, of, you can make them out of umbrellas too, which is cool. And out of a lamp, like a plexiglass lamp. They're yeah, plexiglass yeah, yeah, lamps. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I like. Uh, I love parabolic speakers. I'm really. Oh, they're, they're the best, and and parabolic recording also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Have you done much of that? I don't a lot because I work for the Library of Natural Sounds at the Oakland Museum, and I used to go with parabolic uh, recorders, like a microphone in a parabolic with a oh, gun yeah. and directed to, to places like a specific bird or specific mammal, you know, you pointed, but you're far away and you can get the recording very precise because it's so a do you have to use some cardio and mic pointing out to the 
you know how it works, no? The the cardio it, device. It has, to, you know? it has to like ricochet off something, right? Or doesn't like yeah, it ricochets in the in the in the parabolic, and the and the and the cardioid mic is pointed to the center, so everything bounces into the into both sides of the cardioid. Don't people use like mannequins for that too? You know, like the, the... yeah. Well, that, that's the other one, but that's more like that's another idea. That's more like a, like a surround sound because you have to yeah, cardio. What is that, that is... called? I can't remember what it's called now. The well, this one is a very precise. It's like a it's like a spotlight recorder yeah that's great and also if you use like those like large microphones that are used for film like uh shotguns they're yeah, really yeah. good for that too did you um the 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 project in september um is this is when did you come up with this i came up with this on for the pacific standard time exhibit uh -huh. i think it was two i'm not sure two years or three years ago and uh, it was in response, as I told you, no, it was in response to an exhibit about codexes. You know, the codexes where uh, Europeans kind of codified all of the flora and fauna found in the Americas. Right. But they codified it with a bias, with a religious bias, or with a, or with a European hegemonist, colonialist bias, you know? It's so, I was reading that, that your mission state or the statement that somebody else wrote it, not you, I don't think. Yeah, uh, both of them. The last one, I, I wrote part of it and I sent the literature and somebody completed it. The first one uh, was written by a writer that works for Magnolia, uh, Magnolia Prints, where I print, Magnolia Editions. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, what, like, because I always think about that when I hear somebody talking about how, uh, sort of giving it like a negative tone to like uh, historic revisionists. And I said, and my father used to say, that's because they lied about it the first time. <laughs> and I, and I said, that's a really good one. Like it. They're not revisionists. He said, they're the ones trying to tell the truth. And, yeah. And I, and I thought about that though, when I read the statement about uh, your piece, which I thought was really, really interesting. There's also uh, Josh Kuhn, you know who he is, no? Josh Kuhn wrote, uh, now that you're mentioning, there's a third description that is written by Josh Kuhn, and I should find it and send it to to the people that I'm working with. And there's a historian writing another description for, for a show in September in Cala. Uh -huh. And I can tell you the name if I go to my emails. Let me see. I can tell you who, who, who wrote, who's going to write. Uh, Prince to the uh, kinda, okay. Well, the piece in the show in September is called Sonic Botany. That's why I thought there was there's sound though, no? Yeah, it, it was initially like that's the name that it had at the beginning. Right. Sonic Botany. And it's and it's just the, the name that I gave it from the beginning when I, when it was a comment of the of the codexes. Uh -huh. Let me let me see. There's a person writing about this. And uh man. Is it? Oh. Uh. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm not leaving. It's a it's an art uh, historian that is UC Berkeley, but I cannot find. I, it's like lately I cannot find anything here. Uh, hold on. 
Sugata Ray. Does it sound familiar? What is it? Sugata Ray. Sugata Ray. No, I don't. It's like, it looks like he's a professor of art history at UC Berkeley, and he writes a lot of comments on, on art. So he's going to write uh, another text about this. Oh, yeah. I, there's a lot of things I don't know, Guillermo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but you know if you have a chance, or maybe I can get a chance to get you the original books of Codices that that was published by the Huntington Museum for the exhibit. Uh -huh. You will get an idea because departing from that, I kind of went ahead and acquired another book that is about uh, codification of human beings and plants by Europeans. And it's through times, and it ends up with Walt Disney codifying like races and, and things. Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting thing. Does does your project like like offer like a like a, a, a literal correction or is it sort of just like it sort of just is like a sort of an interpretation or is it like it's kind of a fantasy. It's uh, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I guess I was. Yeah, it's basically a codification of a uh, colonization of uh, of the genome by corporations. It's taken as a colonization, no, as a colonization project, no. We colonize, we colonize everything that is in the in the world, and finally we're colonizing the micro world, the invisible world, no, that was only part of the sacred. The invisible world belonged to the sacred, but finally the corporations are colonizing even the micro world, you know? And it kind of goes completely with COVID-19 and all of that stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. Are you talking like the corporations from like the 19th and 18th, like the, back the century, like a few hundred, couple of hundred years ago and all that? Are you talking about th those corporations or the ones that cut a fight? Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, the Spaniards and the English and the, especially the Dutch did a lot of... Um, yeah, the Dutch and the, like East India and or East India, Detroit. yeah, those kind of it's interesting. It is kind of it's so interesting how, like, when you, when you know, when people talk about like say the one percenters now, and you look back at it, it's like it's always been this way, you know. Like, yeah. At least we're actually like more aware of who's doing things now, you know. Which I, I don't, that doesn't. Yeah, it's interesting. Mean. It's interesting. Yeah, and we're more aware not only that who's doing it, but that they are doing it, you know. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we're stopping it either. So no, so it's... no, but but it's a, it's very interesting. No, it's like a fan, fantasy world. No, it's like a window. Literally, it's a window to the future. No, where yeah. viruses kind of take over. You know, like insects and genome manipulation takes over. No, so we see all of these entities that are completely transformed. So, so have you always sort of responded to. Because it feels like a lot of your art has so much, like the the work on the border. When I first when I first talked to you about your your work with Richard Mustrak, how do you say Mustrak? Mustrak, yeah, yeah. And you've always seemed like you've done something that really, like, was a personal concern too. It wasn't just like I mean, like you didn't like seem like the guy who was working for his art dealer, kind of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always did something that. Actually, if, if you see it that way, uh, you can tell that this Sonic Botany project is also about a border, no? Between yeah, us. That's, that's and what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and like, what about the other the uh, border project you did with Richard? Is like what? 
What? The border project that I did with Richard, we, we kind of um, walk it blindly, but in, it, we had a, such, a first, so, such a strong first impulse uh-huh. that it conducted itself to, what we, to the point where we meet, you know, where Richard and I meet. And we, I have, we have been defined that as the, the presence of absence, no? In none of our works, you see people. In none of our works, you see any human being, you know? You see the big landscapes of Richard, and you see my instruments as, or I don't call them instruments. I, son, I call it sonic devices. You see my right. sonic devices as made out of something that sometime at some point, somebody used to stay alive and to keep next to them, no? But well, you don't see the person. Items by people crying across the border too, right? Yeah, exactly. But you, you see you, in, those apps, in those objects and, the, and their sound, you, you feel the absence of the person, no? Right, You don't right. see the person. It's like within, like Richard, um, I didn't know that. I learned that later, but uh, when he, he used to photograph people in Berkeley like homeless people and people that went to Vietnam and all of that in Berkeley in the 60s, 70s. Right. And he decided not to photograph people anymore. He thought it was invasive to photograph people. And in another way, I'm not like using people, you know, I'm, or, right. or, or taking over people. I'm, I'm just using the objects that are left behind. It's kind of like, more like a post. Does he... Did he... Was he the people he was? Put, was it more like a documentary type? But he wasn't like you know po- having them posed for portraits or something, right? Excuse me. Like when Richard was saying about taking pictures of people, was that it was more like documentary style where he was just taking them like candidly in the street or something like this? He wasn't just having them come and pose in a studio, or was or is it both? Or yeah, he he stopped thinking for some reason, and and actually. It's, he said that in a lot of interviews. I don't remember the, how he explains the reason, but but um, he didn't find that interesting anymore at some point. Yeah, I mean, I understand how that that notion goes, you know. And also, I get I get asked a lot if why don't I have immigrants playing my instruments and all of that. And there's many reasons for that. No, one of them is I don't want to use people, you know, and yeah. people that are struggling. The other one is like you need music training to portray the exact feeling that I want to portray, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, so, you do a lot of it yourself, too, you know, like, right? Yeah. I would, I would uh, be super glad to work with immigrants, but uh, they, I would have to get a grant that I could work with their two years. Wow. Every day, and I would get, like, the best project ever in the world. So that they are paid a a regular salary for two years and I get a pay a regular salary. And I would be super glad to work with them and to have them play the instruments, you know, but but it's a project from zero because you know we're good for a lot of things. If they you put me to to build a a house, you know, I I don't know where to start. (laughs) You know, that would that would definitely be like a might be a harder time to get funding after the virus goes away. Oh, no. There's not going to be funding for anything. Forget yeah, it. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah. Well, it would be a good project, actually. I would love to to live everyday life with a so, community so, of, of immigrants and working on sound and expression. It would be beautiful, you know? 
So I learn from them and they learn from me, you know, it's an exchange. Do you think there was some point in your life where you started working on these more social issues that were kind of personal too, you know? And you, or do you think you always sort of had that in you? Or, cause I, I know always you were, had it. What's that? I always I had it, but it wasn't that clear. What's that? I always had the impulse, but it wasn't that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your training, like when you were younger, was more like classical, you, or, you know, like you said, a little more, and then you went to Mills College. I think that kind of, did that change what that you... That was the, the first, the first hit, no, Mills College. And then there was the, the big thing of like, my goal was to become like a orchestral composer and all of that. And I realized when I did my, my piece with the Oakland Symphony that that being a composer is very hierarchical, like an orchestral composer, and it's very pyramidal. And my relationship with people was very vertical instead of yeah. being horizontal. So I, I went back to the roots of uh, indigenous people and the roots of community collaboration. Right? And, and I realized that there was more communication with people if I relate to them in a horizontal yeah. of relationship. So, so a lot of your stuff has been dealing with like sort of the indigenous or the, like the, the people from Mexico too, or, you know, like that, like you've mostly been dealing sort of with the, that, that sort of scenario, you know, the, the, the sort of people like what, which, which makes sense. You're, you're born in Mexico, right? So, well, I'm taking I'm taking I'm taking the best out of um, society, non-Western societies that deal with other ways of seeing things. Not 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 that they are perfect or that they are better than Western society. Western society has and Western culture has a lot of of, of good things, but I'm I'm trying to make the best out of the research of of a communities and societies that we are not very much in touch with, no? Not only the Mexican, but uh, the Japanese, um, Chinese, uh, all the Irish societies, uh, all European societies, yeah. all the Greek societies, like the before Greek was a country, there were a lot of islands and very different cultures there, no? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting how, uh, like when I was taught history about how it was sort of like, like, like I'd, I'd, I'd read this quote, I mean, it's not a quote, it's a, probably a interpretation, but it was something like that geography is very subjective. I remember reading this about 20 years ago and I thought, and it really made me think about how you know, the idea that people are now like, I'm from Tennessee, you know, and they think that like there's this thing that if they walk across the Georgia border, something's like completely different, you know? And <laughs> it's like, it's not, I mean, like, there are, like walking across the United States to Mexico is a different thing because of, because of, part of because it's subjective actually though, you know? That part actually part is part of the why it's different because, you know, we've, people have made it different, you know, like, or like governments have made it different and, you know, agendas and stuff. It's an illusion. Well, if you see Richard Mishrak's main photograph, the one that is in the cover of the Border Cantos book, uh -huh. you can see a huge wall. Uh, he's photographing from the mountains. 
uh-huh. and the terrain looks exactly the same in both sides. You know, it's such a yeah, yeah. strong symbol. You know, well, I'd heard about people that lived in certain places that would wouldn't know if they were in Mexico or United States in certain parts of the day. When I mean, like if you know, when the, there was no real barrier there, you know, and, and this and the people are pretty much the same people. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They could be relatives or whatever. But that's what's interesting when I when I thought about this idea that um, geography is subjective, and I thought, um, or the idea I've always been really interested in how somebody will say, "Oh, I like to do it traditionally," and like a lot of these traditions are, or a lot of times traditions could be like a there could be a tradition in Mexico that that actually is very much from Europe, though you know, like I mean, a lot of right. No, no, I keep telling my my I have a lot of people that have helped me knowing the Native American ways. And I've done in several sweat lodges and all of that. And I compare, no, and, and I say that in Mexico, the Native American culture or the the native culture is very much merged with this old, very old Spanish culture, no. You see right. you see a, a hybrid of everything, no? Like you see in Cuba a hybrid between African and Christian, no? In the Santeria. Yeah, there's there's a it's interesting how, uh, how like um, about how, like I, I saw this when I was up in up in Tarahumara area in Mexico mm-hmm. years ago, and I there was a, I saw a, a crucifix with Jesus had an erection, and I was like it was in a store, and I said what is this? And then this guy started explaining to me how like the Tarahumara got Christianity much later than a lot of the other Mexicans, and that it was just a sign of fertility and it actually didn't like <laughs> so it was like they were said that that they like kind of did they were a little bit isolated in some ways so they kind of did things in their own way in a lot of ways you know it didn't really it makes sense completely it yeah. Make sense. yeah it makes sense like in mexico you go to a church a, a, a catholic church in a small town an old catholic church and there's a lot of indigenous in the yeah. church you know? Well, yeah, you see, only that it's like a cave. There's like a bird sometimes coming inside, and yeah, you know, yeah. you've been there. Yeah, they have like, a, or when you talk to somebody who is like South Korean who is a Christian, you know, and and they like their family, like the Christians came there, like you know, one generation, you know, like and so they have a sort of they have some uh, things from like past relig- religions. They'll do things like I have a friend who. His wife is Japanese and she's a Christian and she grew up as a Buddhist and she became a Christian. Wow. And I was like, how did you become a Christian? And then I found out it was like a form of rebellion, teenage rebellion that became, uh-huh. made her become a Christian, but she stayed a Christian. And I just thought I wouldn't have kind of thought about that, you know, that this was, this was like, a, what's that? Sounds great. Sounds like super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I love these like stories about how like, you kind of have, I mean, I, you know, a lot of us have preconceived ideas of like why this would happen. And I, I thought maybe like there was a missionary that came to town or something, you know, and they said, no, no. And like, it was just actually a way of causing problems in the family. <laughs> so, okay. That's, that's a different one than I expected. So, but I, yeah, it's just fascinating how I think that's why it's so great to travel too and meet people from different cultures and when people like get so, you know, have these ideas about places and then 
because I always tell people, you know, I've heard people say things about Mexico, especially they build the wall. And I said, if you ever go to Mexico, you you will wonder like what were these people even talking about? <laughs> I yeah. said like that there's no idea. Yeah, it's I said I said it just feels like the most relaxed, friendly place, and all of a sudden you're hearing, you know, all the stuff that you hear. I said I don't, you know. I mean, I mean it's just next door. But yeah, it's next door. It's like it's not that far. It's like the best secret, actually, you know, yeah. and it's next door. So so Guillermo, how is how is is this? Uh, virus kind of changed the way you're doing anything too? I, like, I mean, as far as like creatively, I mean? Well, I was traveling a lot. Yeah. And I had a lot of traveling planned for all of these months. And instead I'm here. But I love my studio and, I, and I've been... You're in your studio now, right? Yeah. And I love just picking up things that I have gathered, like some of them in my trips, some of them projects that I left half made. And I've been just like looking around and I love it here. And, and my plants, now I have time to take care of them. Because I used to like have a plant and then go on a trip. And then when I come back, it's dead, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. What I see a, a violin, I think it's back there. And do you have a bunch of instruments back there? Yeah, you do? Oh, yeah. I think it's an amp there too. Yeah, Are there's you, a fretless Stratocaster. There's yeah. an electric mandolin, there's an electric cello, then there's synthesizers here. Oops. So you're playing a lot of music during the day. Those too. are my altars there. Yeah, yeah. I'm playing a lot of music. Yeah, I'm playing with uh, Cristobal Martinez. We're rehearsing every every week. Uh -huh. Yeah, Zoom. And we're trying to create a piece with our synthesizers. I was always curious too, because I like I know you writ you, like you've written a symphony for uh, like Kronos Quartet, or you wrote something, yeah. and you've written differently. But then you didn't like Wolf Eyes open for you too, like a couple years ago or, or a year ago, or like oh yeah, it's, uh, it's these two different things. No, the thing that I did for Kronos. No, I know, but I just think the varied like I love that varied sort of like what seems like a varied sort of uh, you know kind of uh, resume there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really different yeah what i did for Kronos, you know the piece no it's like i did a piece yeah. commenting on the on the actually it kind of resonates too is the 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 way that we have departed from our touch to physical things and to reality to nature to our own nature no yeah to touching nature to enjoying nature and to and to enjoy each other and, and how that has had a repercussion on on the way with on the way that countries do war, no, through drones. Oh yeah, yeah. You can kill two thousand people and you don't have an idea what you're doing if it's just a screen with dots, you know. Sure, sure. That's what happened in the Persian Gulf War when we, you know, killed I don't know how many people and then you know, we had barely any Americans died. But then I heard a lot of soldiers over here had like PTSD afterwards when they sort of, when it sort of like sunk in what happened, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, people said it felt like a video game is what that person told me, you know? Exactly. That's exactly what the piece with Kronos is. It's, a, it's kind of a video game in which everybody participates. Yeah, yeah. I remember this. Um, what about how did you end up? What did you do? You open or uh, Wolf Eyes open for you, or are they? Oh, they they open for a show 
in which I play with with, with Cristobal Martinez from Post Community. Oh, yeah. And we have this duet that is called Red Culebra. Yeah. And it's kind of, kind of a post-colonialist, post-apocalyptic, electronic ceremony duet. And that's what we do, yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I I love like is there is there a sort of like uh yeah like you know like the sort of I always think it's interesting how we we're I was talking about working for the dealer kind of idea because mm-hmm. it feels like you know you're you're not very easily quantified you know you you're a composer musician you're a visual artist you're you know, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I some at some point I think I couldn't do all of that but I I managed to yeah but it's like is it sort of like do you think that that impacts sort of the way you're viewed in the art world or is it sort of like a like a confusing because it feels like a lot of times as much as people want claim they want experimentation but when they when they get it they don't know what to do with it sometimes you know so no it's, it's been it's worked fine for me i've always been like that since i was a child you know like yeah. i like different things yeah. and like for example the visual arts to create visual arts relaxes me a lot from music yeah and when you, people like a live activity, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like when, like when you um, play the instruments from the Border Project, is it was the was the was the music? A lot of the music was more like improvised, wasn't it? And, and, yeah, it's it's what we what they call control improvisation. Yeah, that you set a set of rules. Yeah, within a frame of time, and this is what you can do. This is what you cannot do. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So you're creating a set of things that you can do and a set of things that you, and the rest is things that you cannot do, no? Do you, uh, a certain frame of time. Are you writing music, I mean, quite a bit, or do you, is it something that, you, like, you have, like... I'm starting to write time. more music these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's when I'm in my studio. It's like, I, I was playing the, the solo piece for Border Cantos in a lot of places. It was like, yeah. I played in a lot, a lot of places. But it was like the same piece played over and over and just like trying to refine it every time. Yeah. But now that I'm in my studio, I have all of these instruments around, so I'm thinking more about music, about making music. I need to be in a stable place to create music, which is very interesting. Uh, so so uh, being, not traveling and being in your studio all the time, is that, that does impact like what your like work your output or whatever or sort of yeah like, it makes me make more music because i go there there's a piano back there there's some synthesizers here there's a microphone i can record yeah. that sounds fun yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday i was playing for a while with a with a synthesizer i'm also relearning harmony for the from the point of view of singing right okay cool and uh, retuning i've been working with alternative tunings and I've been tuning all of my instruments to 8423. Yeah. That was the original, instead of 440. Yeah, yeah. That seems like it's more natural. It's more related to natural cycles. Oh yeah, because I yeah I knew that you're you're very interested in the like the sun cycles and different things too. Like, yes. Yes, the relationship between music and sound and the and the nature cycles and. The na- our nature as human beings. No? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would, I would, I mean, I would think that since we're part of that cycle, that the music would be. Yeah. You know? Even though a lot of times we're probably 
a lot of people are like sort of deprogrammed to think that they are part of that cycle. So of those cycles, you know. Yeah, if you start if you start learning a harmony or composition or counterpoint or whatever you learn in the conservatory, you kind of start with tuned instruments, and they are tuned to a certain tuning that was a convention in the Renaissance. Yeah. So, so you you don't have the time to really explore how an instrument works from scratch yeah. and, how, and how harmony came into being. So harmony a, started with the voice without instruments. Well, that's another thing too about, do you think it's part of like colonization too, of like how there's like a classical music coming from, like you said, like from the Renaissance or, you know, something that's actually what, like it's like sort of like what Miles Davis was like, this is our classical music. This is uh, African American classical music, playing jazz and all this. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and it's not only the colonization part; is the uh, the canons of certain uh, clans, no? Uh -huh. Like this is our clan, and this is the way the way should, the way you, that you write music, or the way you perceive music, and the and the, the way that the instruments are tuned has a lot to do with who you are and what you want to portray, no? Sure, sure. It's like in visual arts, no? You're gonna only be able to to draw in 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 uh, shades of of green, you know, and that's it. You cannot do anything. But say you, what about brown or or black? No, no, no. Black is not allowed. <laughs> you can only use for shades. Black is just for shades. No? So that's yeah. the, that's the way music works, you know. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess. I mean, that's my my theory. So since I started working working with an Indian musician, Lisa Sangita Moscow, that plays uh, Sarod, we start working with alternative tunings. And it's like if you, it's like when you turn like when you when you eat Indian food that has a spice that you never tried, and you go like, wow, what is this? You know? Yeah, uh, I was favorite. watching some uh, Indian chef talking about how he was making these experimental kind of Indian things that were actually from like earlier periods. Mm -hmm. People are saying that this is an Indian food. Indians are saying this, and he said this is actually something that you know they like. He was experimenting with things like pre, like British, you know, India. You know, <laughs> there you go with the hybrid again, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No? Hybrids create really interesting things, no? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's it's kind of like one of those things where like I love going through Mexico and looking at the colonial architecture, and then you think of sometimes like these symbols. Like as beautiful as looking as these symbols are, but when you start thinking about what they are, it's yeah. another, you know. Yeah, there's a combination of symbolic meaning, and there's yeah. also the the colonizer trying to make the buildings the way they do it in their land, but they don't have the same materials, you know. So you have to be oh, concreative yeah. again, you know. Well, like when I was in Cuba, you know, like you you've been to Cuba, or you were in the Havana Biennial, were you? Or? And they have the this sort of like the Soviet modernism looking, and in the tropics, oh, it's amazing. That stuff is amazing in Cuba. Yeah, like in the tropics, and it looks so like in the tropics, it really looks amazing to me. You know? Yeah. It, and like that's why I think sometimes these symbols of like some form of oppression are like they come up, they look beautiful later on when you kind of like you know. I mean, you're still. I'm aware of what they're there for, why they're there, you know, but that's sort of... Yeah, the idea of hybridity, you know, is 
hybridity as a place where things grow, no? where things develop into a new thing, instead of the idea of borders and dividing ourselves in, in tribes and cultures and religions, the, the idea of like, it's okay to combine something with something else, you know? Well, that's what I always think about when, when people like talking about something like building the wall or something. And I think the beauty of the United States is actually like what is really American is actually not one thing, you know, it's actually so many different things and so many things that like the idea of trying to make it into this one thing that you think we've lost. It's like, the beauty of it is like, a, like an evolving, you know, really evolving thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. The, I think that the idea of uh, the beautiful idea of the United States as a country is the idea of combining all races, all cultures, all religions, you know. It's not the idea of dividing people. I mean, right, right. but is the point that has happened before, you know. This is new. This has to be new. Yeah. Dividing has always uh, already happened, you know. We, it's, it's a futuristic and evolving experiment. Yeah, because I mean, I just was in uh, Vienna for a few months and they, like, you know, I really love it. But I was thinking, like, I like when I'm here and there's, like, a Jamaican restaurant and then there's, like, a, you know, a Polish place around the corner. There's Mexican, like, there's, like, the commercial, not real Mexican food. And then there's, like, the real Mexican joint, you know. And there's, like, everything, though. And I, and I really kind of miss, like, the sort of matter-of-factness of having every culture here, you know, that I... Yeah, here is like the only place in the world probably that you can go anywhere and find any kind of food, any time of any kind of people, any kind of religion, no? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. see the point of making the United States as one type of people and dividing yeah. the other ones out. Then the experiment doesn't work. I mean, that's the point, you know? The point of the United States is the combination of things and the yeah. invention that be, that builds out of, out of the combination of everything, you know? Out of the hybrid. Yeah, I remember those kind of things like reading about how, uh, say, somebody like John Cage or like even like Bill Frizzell or like they they, they want to make or they want to make American music. But I remember reading about this when I was younger and thinking like his idea of American music was sort of like what we're saying. It was everything, you know. Yeah, it was like America was like like a byproduct of everything, sort of. Well, there's nothing more American than John Cage. Yeah, yeah, like very American. Like, like the fact that Buddhism was a big part of his American music, you know, in the '30s. Right? Like, right? like, this, like that. That to me was like more brilliant sometimes than any. Like the idea that he kept calling it American music, and I thought this is really, this is sort of like something that I don't, you know, you always hear four minutes and thirty-three seconds or something like this. Oh, but yeah. I thought the idea that he really sort of could de define America. In a way. Definitely, is that the, the the point is that John Cage could have saved what, with what he knew, you know, from, yeah. from academia, you know. But the important thing when you create anything and when you're a composer like John Cage probably is not using what you know, is searching what you don't know or what you don't like, you know. Is sometimes it's more important what you don't like than what you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like I've always I've, a lot of times I've heard where people say the best artists are. But they're they're actually asking you asking questions instead of giving answers, you know. And it's sort totally. of like, yes, I, I agree with that hundred yeah. percent. No, the the space that you open with silence is a, the space that allows anything to happen there, you know, in John yeah. Cage. 
you're allowing, you're opening the doors to anything. It's a blank slate, it's a tabula rasa, it's a blank space in which anything can happen. That is interesting. If you say this is what is happening, then you're falling into a narrative. I was, I was listening to an interview with a bass player, William Parker, the other day, and he was talking about how he was young, and I think he was, with, he was playing with some Northern European free jazz guys, and, and he said he learned the concept of not playing, like just being quiet. And he said, because he would just keep playing all the time, and all of a sudden, it was like this part is, and he said that he realized that that silence was actually music too, you know, and that was actually not just, and he said he was so used to just playing all the time. And then he just realized that, oh yeah, when I, when I step away, how important that is too. Or mm -hmm. A real musician knows that silence is as important or more important than the notes. Oh yeah. Once you put the notes, the notes are there, the notes are going to push back on you. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you say out there, whatever you put into the air, like words, no? Yeah, yeah. They're going to come back to you. Any word, anything you say is going to come, any, any action that you take in the world is going to come back to you in a certain way. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I used to play with some people, but I, I was not like a great musician, but I, that was like one of the things that, like, I had to learn because I felt like if I stopped playing, At first, I, when I, before I ever played with a bunch of people, I thought, I got to just keep playing. And then my friend is like, hey, just like, you know, know when to, it's like a conversation, know when to shut your mouth, you know? <laughs> right. You cannot all talk at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It would like never work. It would be a terrible conversation. You just have to listen too, you know? Like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and nobody would want to, you know, nobody would be enjoying that conversation. <laughs> and it's also the point of reaction instead of action, no? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, I think. Reaction that's is, is very interesting, too, you know, and it's not, you know, like politicians, no, they just talk and talk and they don't react, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah don't wait, they don't wait for the other side to speak, you know? Yeah, because I don't really, I, I, I mean, I, you know, have political views, but I don't have these, but I still, and I don't mean like everybody's the same, but I, I do feel like if you get to a certain level, I do have some suspicion about you, you know, because you had to play a bit of a game that is questionable, you know, and I, but, you know, somebody has to do, has to do that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The cur cur current game player, I'm not too keen on, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I've seen your politics. Yeah. <laughs> In Facebook. So, yeah. Um, Well, I was thinking, uh, I wanted to probably wrap it up a little bit. Guillermo, do you have anything else you're... Uh... I think we got into an interesting area. Yeah, like we, we I actually feel like we got into Automatically, an area that I quite yeah. expect, so, which I like. Yeah, we got into a very interesting area that is, very, is, is unique, you know. It's... Every time I feel like we talk, I feel like we end up getting on like a tangent that I always feel like, oh yeah, I'm glad we got on that tangent, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. No, we got into... Thank you. No, no, it's great to talk to you all, as always. Yeah, yeah. No? I always have a, a great time, you know. We've done a lot of things together now, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely appreciate uh, these conversations. Maybe we'll get to hang out again when this is all. Yeah. We're going to go to Florida, man. I love Florida. <laughs> yeah. La Florida. I'm ready to go somewhere. I, I've got cabin. You know, my, 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 the house that I, my mother's house that I rent in Mexico, the Airbnb is renting like all the time now. 
you, should come, you should come over. You're going to love it. I want to build a Temazcal in the back. Oh, nice. That looks like a really nice place. It's in Cuernavaca, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Cuernavaca. Have you been there? I've never been to Cuernavaca. It's always like 70 degrees, like all the time. Yeah, I've heard it's the uh, land of springtime or something. Yeah, the eternal spring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and it's a bit of very magical, like Eric Fromm lives there. And oh, wow. A lot of a lot of famous people. Like, I think that the guy that wrote like that, that is the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know who wrote it, but I... Yeah, I yeah, yeah, he lived there. And also, oh. of course, Siqueiros, David Alfaro Siqueiros lived there. Huh. Didn't, didn't, yeah. uh, didn't some of the beatniks live there or something? Or? Yeah, some of the beatniks used to go there. And then there's also Tepoztlan that is like a sorcerer town that was yeah. uh, part of the Aztec Empire. And it's all of these really weird mountains. They look like you're in China. And there's like, they say like there's UFO, UFO uh, sightings and, and it's like all magic and stuff. It's like next there. And then there's an archaeological site, uh, site that has the, the most ancient observatory in the Americas. It's called Xochicalco. It's beautiful around there. It's just great. Yeah, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll definitely, I've been thinking about it actually. I've actually, a friend of mine in Mexico City told me, why don't you just come down here, you know? And I said, well... Yeah, and people is kind of escaping the city now that the virus is there, so they're renting the house a lot, you know. It's oh, yeah, kind of good. cool. Well, um, it's well, good talking to you as usual, my friend. Okay, and, um, always good, man. Thank you. And I'll see you. We'll talk soon. Okay, you take care. Thanks you so much. Huh? You take care. Okay, bye. you too. I'll see you, bye. See you, bye. Hi, I'm Pat Green. Hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you enjoyed, please subscribe and share, and please leave me some feedback on what you thought of the whole show. And the best way to find out about future episodes is to subscribe.